Well, yeah, like Brian said, I'm living down in the south of Brazil uh, in a city called Curitiba, and we have a little church called Calvary Curitiba. Uh, just copy everything Brian does, basically. So, um, But we've uh, been down there for almost nine years, and uh, actually, I have a, a few announcements for you guys, two quick announcements connected to this. Um, yeah, there we are. Um, you guys can see that's my family. i got two little kids, um, uh, which are a handful, but a lot of fun. And uh, so we're going to have uh, an opportunity for you guys, if you guys want to know more about Brazil or more about missions, we're going to have a special opportunity tomorrow night. Uh, Monday night we have YP, which is the Young Professionals Group, but we're opening up YP tomorrow night for everybody. So if you want to come and, and ask questions or just listen, we're going to talk a little bit about Brazil, we're going to talk about missions. So it's an awesome opportunity to, to get more involved, get more connected and hear about this stuff if that's what you're interested in. Um, I think it'll be a lot of fun. So come on out tomorrow night. It starts at 7 o'clock. And then also, we're going to have another opportunity. Uh, we're going to be doing sort of a summer internship down at our church um, in, in Curitiba. And so we're looking for one, two, three students. Actually, not, I'm sorry, not students, people. Uh, anyone who maybe is thinking, I, I think I might have a calling into ministry. Or maybe you're saying, yeah, no, I, I do have a, a calling into ministry, and I, I want to get more training in that. Uh, this will be an opportunity for you. So uh, you can talk to me afterwards about that, um, you can, uh, or you can come tomorrow night. We'll maybe talk a little bit about that as well. Uh, but the main person is going to be Dave Foote. So if you don't know Dave Foote, who Brian was talking about, uh, you got to get to know him. But he's going to be giving more information later as the year goes on. I know it's, it's only October, and you guys, we just started school, some of you guys, so it's like, well, I'm already thinking about summertime. Uh, I know it's way in advance, but you guys can start praying about that and thinking about it. But it'll be a very cool situation. Uh, we're going to have an opportunity. You're going to study a little Portuguese, study the Bible, be doing all sorts of things in our church. You're going to have a full uh, immersion into the mission field. So a uh, very cool opportunity for, for some of you guys. So think about that, pray about it. And uh, for those of you who are thinking maybe like, oh, awesome, Brazil, you know, hot women and beaches, it's going to be great. Uh, just remember that we're in winter when you guys are in summer, and our city is an hour and a half from the beach. So uh, it's going to be really about ministry, not about paradise. Uh, so anyway, that's what we got going on. Anyway, uh, I want you guys to open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5 real quick. We'll be hopping around a little bit today, um, so you'll have to follow along with me. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, here's how it goes. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power." And from such people, turn away. We look here and we see that uh, Paul is warning Timothy about the things that will happen in the last days. And if you talk to many theologians or Bible scholars or even pastors, missionaries, most people believe that we are in the last days. And what it's saying here is that as the end draws near, we're going to come to a point where people begin to get more and more selfish. The culture is going to kind of turn a little darker, and people are going to become more like this. 
And as we become more and more selfish, it begins to affect all sorts of things. In Brazil, we have a saying that when someone's selfish that they like to stare at their belly button. And it's this idea that when you're staring at your belly button, you don't see anyone else around you, right? And so you're walking, you're like, hey, get out of my way, move, hey, got things to do, get out of here, right? So when we're staring at our belly button, we can't really help other people like we're meant to do as Christians, right? Well, it's interesting because the Bible tells us that Satan or the devil, he is in charge kind of of the culture. He kind of dictates things. And he is looking to make the culture more selfish, more self-focused in order to take away the possibility of people thinking about serving one another, right? That's what we're called to do as Christians. We're called to love and to serve one another. So Satan has this brilliant plan. He's going to influence the culture for the negative, And the more he does that, it'll eventually begin to enter into the church. And that's what we see. We see that happening. Unfortunately, we we can't escape the culture as much as we want to be out of the culture. We are immersed in it. And it begins to influence us in many different ways. And many times we don't even know that it's influencing us. I remember when we were living, we were living up in the northeast of Brazil for a while. And uh, it was a very difficult time for us. it's, It's a completely different culture. And really, what I said, I said, this is the most selfish place I've ever been. And it worked itself out in so many different ways. <clears throat> Sorry, <clears throat> I kind of choked there. Um, people driving, it's like chaos. It's like animals driving behind the wheel, you know, and they're just cutting in front of people. We had people driving in the middle of two lanes, you know, so you couldn't pass them. And you're just thinking, man, what's going on with this? You see lines, like the bus comes, and it's just survival of the fittest. It's like, who can get in there first, you know? And people are moving. I had this old lady, seriously, elderly lady, just steps right in front of me to get in front. I was like, really? Like, an elderly lady? Like, I'll let her go. It's not a problem, but she's cutting in front of me. And I was looking at that saying, man, if I was from here, would I be just like that? I mean, I was born and raised in California, and so there were certain things that I do that other people look at and they say, what is this guy doing? Because the culture influenced me, right? That, that's how the world works. That wherever we grow, that begins to influence our ideas, our ideologies, our philosophies of life. And so Satan's saying, well, this is great. If I can just get the culture to get more and more self-centered, then I can begin to impact the church for the negative. And I believe that's what's going on. Because when we look at this description of 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, it doesn't look all that different from our culture here. Now, I think we're doing a little bit better than this. I think, I think we are. But you can see where we're headed. And, it, and it's not just us as San Luis Obispo or California, but it's really, it's the whole world. It's down in Brazil. It's up here. It, it's everywhere is headed in this direction. And, and it looks dark, right? Well, this is really important for us, and this is something that God has been speaking to me a lot about. Um, he's been kind of teaching me some things about Christianity, about what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And when we look at that thing, it began to remind me of Ephesians chapter 4. If you guys would turn there with me, I'd appreciate that. Ephesians 4, verses 30 through 32. A very important passage. God began to speak to me about this, uh, that this was going on in my church, and more specifically, in my life. Look at Ephesians 4, starting in verse 30. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away with you 
from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So here he talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. Literally, that means to make sad. Okay? So he's saying that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us who are true Christians. And he's saying that we have an opportunity to make him sad. Okay? That's obviously, it's not what we want as Christians, not at all. Uh, we want to be the ones that, that follow after God so much so that at the end we stand before God and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, right? But what happens is many times because of our actions, we begin to make the Holy Spirit sad and then we begin to miss out on some of the things that he wants to do in our lives and maybe through our lives, right? And specifically, he names off certain things here. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but he says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So he's saying very simply, look, if we have things in our hearts, we have bitterness, anger, unforgiveness in our hearts, we're going to begin to make the Holy Spirit sad. We're going to grieve him. And it doesn't explain the full ramifications of what that means to make the Holy Spirit sad. But we know from the passage that it's bad, right? And that's not what we want. So we got to look at this and say, man, is, is this going on in our hearts? Well, it's interesting because the, some of the things that he mentions here in Ephesians 4 are the exact same things that Paul mentioned in 2 Timothy 3. He says at the end times, people are going to start being selfish. They're going to start being unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, backbiters. And he says, Paul says, you know what? If we're doing that, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. So this is already happening in the church. And this is what the Lord was speaking to me about, that we had to be aware of that and move past it. Okay? Now, this is really important for us because we as Christians we're called to a new life, right? Jesus in John chapter 13 spoke to us and he said, a new commandment I give you, okay? That is huge ramifications, a new commandment, because we're, we're actually moving away from the old commandment. Now, the new commandment, he says, is very simple. He says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So this, this love, this is meant to be the essence of who we are as Christians. We, we say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. Okay, where's the love, right? Where's the love? And when we start to act like this and all of a sudden we're not forgiving one another, we're not loving one another, we're not serving one another, but we're there staring at our belly button, focused in on our own life, all of a sudden the love of Christ isn't being manifested to the rest of the world, right? But he says, this is what we're supposed to do. Now, this is all connected with the Holy Spirit. Um, later on in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 5, he tells us that we are meant to not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When he, when he tells us that, in the Greek, it's written in such a tense that we are meant to carry this out in a continual or repeated action. So what he's saying is, we are meant to always be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, he says almost the exact same thing in Galatians chapter 5. He tells us that we are meant to walk in the Spirit. It's the same thing. Walk in the Spirit. 
And what he's saying is, we are literally meant, as we go through day, the day, every day, walking step by step with the Holy Spirit with us, right? Now, the word, when he says walk in the Holy Spirit, it's the same thing. It's given to us in a continual or repeated action. So we're meant to always be walking with the Holy Spirit. We're meant to always be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, what's going to happen? It says later on in Galatians chapter 5 that he's going to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? It says the fruit of the Spirit is, and he lists off these amazing nine things. And the first thing, what is it? Love, right? Love. So this is all connected. Jesus says, I want you to love one another. Then he says, I'm going to give you a helper who is going to be with you to guide you through the process. And he is going to produce the love in you if you're allowing him to, right? If you're filled with him, if you're walking with him. If you're not, it's not going to happen, right? So this is our main responsibility. We're not meant to look at life as Christians as a bunch of rules. Okay, uh, don't drink this and don't smoke that and, and don't say that and, and don't do this, but do this and do that. That's going to make you insane, right? Okay, all these rules. Did I follow the rules today? That's, that's the Old Testament legalism of the, of the Jews. But what we have is a new life in the Holy Spirit where we're focused on him to say, okay, am I walking in the Spirit? Am I filled with him right now? Okay, yes. Okay, good. Continue. No. Okay, what do I need to do? Stop, repent. Lord, forgive me, I'm not in the spirit. Come and fill me again. Let's do this. Let's go again. And we, we go about through our day doing that, okay? So this is the focus of what we're doing. Now, the problem is, is that we, as human beings, we tend to be selfish. And so we go about our days focusing on things that we have to do, thinking about ourselves. We have a lot of responsibilities. It's me, me, I, I, I. And, and all of a sudden, people start to, they get in our way right? They begin to get in our way. And it's like, hey, get out of my way. I got things to do. I don't have time for this. Move. And then all of a sudden, we're not walking in love. We're walking in that selfishness of 2 Timothy 3, right? That's not where we're supposed to be. I begin to see this in our church. I begin to see this in my life. And it was something that really was troubling me. You see, I went down to the south. We were up in the northeast of Brazil, and we moved back down to the south. And uh, I took over a church that was already existing, but it was a pretty new church. And, and it's a pretty difficult thing to take over a church uh, in, any, in any way, shape, or form. But this one was especially tough because it was a brand new church. The church hadn't even existed for three and a half years. And so you have people who barely know each other, and they're there because, hey, this pastor here, this guy's awesome. And then let's take this pastor, remove him, and put in this new guy. And it's like, well, I, I didn't sign up for this. Who's this guy? I came here for this guy, right? And, and that guy was an amazing teacher. And so they're, they're trying to form their body. And, and it's different than having a church that's been together 50, 60, 70 years, right? They have this connection. It's like, okay, we're together. We're the church. And if this pastor isn't good, that's okay, okay? We can deal with that because we're together. Or maybe we can replace him and put a new one in because we're together. I didn't have that. I had people who were just getting to know each other, and then now all of a sudden there's a new pastor in there, and that makes things weird. Well, we started to make some changes, and uh, I, I thought things were going awesome. Our church more than doubled in size, because it was a tiny church, right? We had about 30, 40 people, and then all of a sudden we're, we're getting close to 100 people, and I'm fired up. This is great. We're doing good. Until all the old people in the church said, hey, we're out of here. We don't, we don't like these changes. We don't like what you're doing to our church. And, and slowly they just started going off, and, and I'm 
thinking, wait, wait, we're, we're doing things good here. We're, we're growing. There's something happening here. And they're like, yeah, ciao. See you later. Now, some of these people were kind of angry at me. They were mad because, hey, you're coming in. You're messing up what we have here. You're trying to force me to do something in a different way. I don't like this, right? I want things the old way. And so some of those people, they left, and there was, you could see there was some tension. There was some bitterness. There were some people who left angry at me, even though I maybe not didn't do anything to them, but they were just angry because I, I kind of messed up their life, right? And, and I started to see that, and I said, man, th- this is bad because what I'm seeing is people who have the things that he's talking about in Ephesians 4. They have some bitterness. They have some hard feelings. There was some slander. And, and there were things that were going on that was really grieving the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, I, I understand uh, that Jesus talks about this quite a bit, actually. If you guys will turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, we have this story starting in verse 21 where Peter comes out and he begins to speak to, to the Lord Jesus. And, and Peter's talking about forgiveness. And he, and he says, you know, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother if he sins against me in a day? Seven, up to seven times? Now, Peter, he, he's thinking that he's doing pretty good. And actually, I think he's doing great. Um, because imagine someone sinning against you seven times and you forgiving them seven times in the same day, Okay. So you're at work, you're at school, someone gets angry at you, they come up, they chew you out. They're just in your face, they're yelling at you, and they slap you in the face, okay? Then they storm off. You're thinking, oh my God, what's wrong with this guy, right? Five minutes later, they come back and they say, oh man, I was out of line, I'm so sorry, right? Most of us are like, oh, okay, I I can forgive you, okay, that's cool. Now imagine 30 minutes later, the guy comes back, screaming in your face again, slaps you again. And then storms off. You're starting to think, hey, this guy's crazy. I don't want this guy in my life, right? How can I switch out of this class or uh, move to a new sector of my business? You know, what, what can I do to get away from this guy? But then he comes back. Hey, you know, I'm sorry. I did it again, you know. Uh, I was out of line. Can you, can, will you forgive me? Okay? Most of us are going to say, yeah, man, it's cool, but don't talk to me again, right? Just stay away from me. I'm going to avoid this guy like the plague. But then imagine this guy doing it seven times in the same day. You're going, man, I'm never going to be around this guy. So when Peter is there and he's saying, man, seven times, Lord, I can forgive that guy in the same day. I'm like, wow, that's pretty good, Pete. You know, like you're rocking it, man. I I wouldn't have anything to do with that person. Okay. But the Lord is like, no, you know, Peter, that's, it's not seven times. It's actually 70 times seven, which is 490. Okay. Now you try and think about that mathematically. It's, it's impossible, right? I can't imagine someone sinning against me seven times and coming back and asking for forgiveness because I'm thinking, if this guy's sinning against me seven times in the same day, he obviously doesn't care about me and he's probably not going to ask for forgiveness, right? He just is, hates me, you know? Now, all of a sudden, the guy's going to do it 490 times? There's no way, right? We're not going to let that happen. So what he's saying is it's meant to be an infinite amount, right? He's saying there's, there's no count. We're meant to be people who forgive, And then he goes into a parable. And in this parable, in verse 23, he starts off talking. There was a certain king who had certain debts that he had lent out. He basically had loaned money to to some of his servants. And now he wants the money back. So you can imagine this guy kind of like the godfather. And he's giving you money and he's saying, okay, now it's time. Pay up. Okay. Now, the first guy comes in and this guy owes 10,000 talents, which is this is like a truckload of money, right? I mean, it's a lot of money. We're not, don't think about it like $10,000. It's far more than that. 
and this guy can't pay. So what does he do? He, he begs, you know, please, just give me time, I'll pay you. And what happens? The king says, no problem. You know what? Forget it. The money's yours. It's over. Our debt is canceled. That's amazing, right? I mean, that's an incredible sign of mercy. So what happens? Well, the servant goes out. He goes out in the field, and he finds another servant of this king. And that guy, he had lent to that guy 100 denarii, okay? Now, 100 denarii is nowhere near the 10,000 talents. Uh, it's not like five bucks, but it, it, maybe it's more like, like he had borrowed a million from the king, and then this guy had borrowed like 1,000 from him, okay? So, I mean, it's a huge contrast. And so he says, hey, give me the money that you owe me. And the guy, you know, oh, please, I can't pay. Forgive me, you know, help me. Help me to do this. Help me to pay you. Give me time. And he says, no way. You're going to go to the debtor's prison. They're going to torture you until you pay every single cent. Okay? Now, the servants, the other servants of the king, they see that and they go and tell the king. And so the king calls them in. And this is what happens. Look here uh, at the end of verse 8. Or, I'm sorry, the end of chapter 18 and verse 32. He says, then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. This is heavy stuff um, because what we see is there's a, there's a hypocrisy, right? The, the guy was forgiven this enormous debt, but he wasn't able to forgive someone who had just a little debt. And what Jesus does is he, re- he relates that to us and to God. If you look at the summary here in verse 35, it kind of wraps everything up. He says, so my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So what he's saying here is God has given us this amazing gift of forgiveness, right? He has shown mercy, has shown grace to us which we did not deserve, right? This first servant deserved nothing except to be in the debtor's prison. But the, the, the master, this, this king, said, you know what, don't worry about it. We'll cancel the debt. Now, with that canceled debt, it should give him a sense of mercy, a sense of, of grace that should say, you know what, I better show that to other people. And that's for us, right? God has forgiven us of everything that we've ever done, past, present, or future. And he has said, you know what? Forget it. It's gone. The, the Bible tells us in the Psalms that Jesus takes our sin away from us as far as the east is from the west. Have you thought about that? East and west never meet, right? North and south, they meet. You fly in a plane from here north. You go up to the North Pole, and all of a sudden, you're going south, right? You go down to the South Pole, and you cross over, and all of a sudden, you're going north. But east and west, you go east, and you just keep going east forever, They never meet. He says, I'm going to take your sins as far away from you as east is from west. Now go and do the same to others. Go and do the same to others. He says, we must forgive from our hearts. Now this is really tough because it's easy when someone sins against a friend. Hey, I sinned against your friend. Sorry about that. Oh, cool. It's no problem, man. You sin against them. I forgive you. No problem. But me? You're going to sin against me? Come on. You can't sin against me, right? Right? You see, what happens is people sin against us, and all of a sudden there's a different standard. 
all of a sudden it's like, no, no, no. Now you've committed the, the cardinal sin. Now you've committed this great moral offense, the unpardonable sin because you sinned against me. Because it's all, it's all about me. It's like I'm sitting there staring at my belly button, right? And so you sin against me. It's like, get out of my way, man. Stop sinning against me. I got things to do. I don't have time for this. But we don't have a right to be unforgiving because Jesus forgave us of everything we ever did. We, we had some people that left our church, like I said, that were pretty upset. Um, some of them just left because they didn't like it. And, and recently we had a person who was actually a missionary down there uh, who had sinned against me. They, they got upset about a couple things. They didn't like it, and they began to talk bad about me behind my back. And then it comes back to me, you know? So be careful what you say about people because it always, almost always comes back to them. And, and so I'm, I'm a real uh, straightforward person. I, I'm not afraid of confrontation. So I called this person into my office. I said, okay, uh, listen, what's going on? Like, you, you're saying some things about me. What, what did I do? Let's, let's work this through. And the person begins to lie to me. No, 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 I didn't say it. No, no, it didn't happen. No, no, no. But I knew because someone told me. No, they said this about you. And, and, and so they begin to lie and they begin to cover it up. And, and I'm saying, no, no, come on. Let's, let's put this out on the table. Let's work this through. Let's finish this, right? And, and the person says, you know what? God's calling me somewhere else. And they left our church, stopped serving, and they went off. And, and after that, I was thinking about it. And I was like, oh, this, this is not right. You know, we got to work this out. And so I sent an email to this person. I said, listen, hey, let's meet. Let's talk about this, Right? We'll work it all out. The person responds to me, I see no need nor desire to talk to you again. <laughs> like, wait, what did, what did I do? Did, did I sin against you? Did I, did I do something to you? Tell me if I did something. I'm typing this to this person. No response. I sent five other emails. No response. I sent text message. No response. The person's angry at me. And I'm sitting there looking at it and saying, who are you to be mad at me? I didn't do anything to you. You sinned against me. You were talking about me behind my back. And then when I asked you about it, you lied to my face. What is this? I have every right to be mad, right? No. I have no right to be mad. Who am I? Who am I to be mad at anybody when I sinned so terribly against God? And he wiped away all my sins. And that's the message of this story. If he has forgiven us of so much, millions and millions of sins, probably every single day, then we come in and someone says something bad about us and we're going to hold it against them? We're going to have bitterness in our heart? We're going to cause d- division in the body of Christ? And we're going to grieve the Holy Spirit? What? That's not the way it's supposed to be. We're meant to be the beacon of light in the world. We're meant to be the people that love one another. And then the people on the outside of the world, they see that and they say, man, look at these guys. They're just like us. Why would I want to be like them? Why would I want to be a part of Christianity when they don't forgive one another? Actually, my non-Christian friends forgive people better than most of my Christian friends. And so I look at that and I say, wow, something's wrong. So God began to speak to me. He said, you can't do that. You can't be angry at this person because you do the same thing. You know, it's interesting. I know you guys, everyone knows who LeBron James is, right? And, And probably most of you heard LeBron James left the Miami Heat at the end of the season. He decided to become a free agent. And he went back to the Cleveland Cavaliers, right? And it was, I mean, that's a pretty big deal because when he left, he, you know, he didn't do it the right way. And uh, I don't know if you guys heard, but Dan Gilbert, the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers, um, he wrote this nasty letter and he posted on the internet about LeBron, right? And he's like, LeBron's terrible and he's never going to win a champ. We're going to win before him and all this stuff. You know, he's just bad-mouthing LeBron James, right? 
Now all of a sudden, LeBron James goes back to his team four years later, and somebody asked him about that. Hey, LeBron, what's going on? Like, how do you go back to Dan Gilbert when he was talking all this trash on you? And you know what LeBron James said? He said, he made a mistake. And he, we talked about it man to man. He apologized. And who am I to hold that against him? I make mistakes too. And I want to make sure that people forgive me. LeBron James. Okay? That's amazing. I heard that and I was like floored. Man, if I want people to show me grace and forgiveness, then I should be showing grace and forgiveness to others as well, right? That's, that's the way it goes, right? That's what Jesus said. He, you know, he said, with the measure which you judge, it'll be judged back to you, you know? So it's this amazing thing that if we're Christians and we've received all this forgiveness, we should be looking to forgive others, not harboring that bitterness in our hearts. And this was something that I was working out in our church because we're, we're hoping to be a church that glorifies Jesus. We're hoping to be a church that, that shines forth the love of Christ, that people look at and say, man, you know, those guys, they're really annoying, but man, they sure love one another, right? But what happens is too much, we start bickering and fighting amongst ourselves, and then we're like, hey man, you want to come to church? And they're like, no, no thanks, I don't want to be a part of that, you know? That's terrible. So we need to let the love shine forth. And so God began to speak to me, and I, I sent an email since this girl wouldn't talk to me at all. Uh, I, I got on an email and just said, hey, you know what? I just appreciate you for this, and I, I thank you for your service here, and I'm sorry for anything that I did to you, and I just want you to know that I, I forgive you for everything that's happened. God bless you. You know, I, I had to extend the same grace that God extended to me. Actually, it's, it's actually just a, a fraction of the grace that God extended to me, but that's the way it's got to be if we're going to be Christians, right? Now, there's another problem that I see I want to get to real quick. If you guys would turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, there's a great passage in here. There's a woman who is caught in the very act of adultery. Now, I don't know how this works exactly because it takes two to tango, right? And there's no man, so I don't know what this guy was doing. But they bring her before Jesus, the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus is in the temple teaching, beginning of John chapter 8. And uh, this is what happens starting in verse 3. It says, Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? And this they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. Right? So what's going on? It's a catch-22. They said, Jesus, here's this woman caught in adultery. What should we do? If Jesus says, yeah, let's kill her. They're like, hey, look at this guy. He says he's the Messiah. He's killing people in the streets of Jerusalem, right? Or he says, no, no, let's not kill her. Let's show compassion. They say, see, look at this guy. He says he's the Messiah, and he doesn't care at all about what the Holy Scriptures say. He has no answer that he can give. So what does Jesus do? Kind of kneels down, starts writing in the sand, just kind of ignores them, right? He's just playing like, ah, I'm not going to answer this question, which is sometimes the best thing to do. And uh, so this is what happens. Verse 7, it says, So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. So Jesus turns this around on them. He says, all right, guys, yeah, you want to you wanna stone this gal? Okay. Who's ever innocent, who's ever has no sin, you go ahead 
throw the first stone. We're all waiting. Kneels back down, starts writing in the sand. I don't know what he's writing in the sand. Maybe he's drawing like a sun and a happy face or something. I don't know. But he's kind of ignoring them. And these guys start to feel his conviction. They start to leave, right? You see, the thing is, we as a church, we have a tendency to get a little bit self-righteous sometimes. And I'm not talking about Calvary Slow. I'm not talking about Calvary Curitiba. I'm talking about the church at large in the world. We have this idea that because we follow God and we have morality, we are the standard of morality in the world, and so we're going to go around and judge everyone that's not a part of us. We have this little group, this clique, and we're going to look at people who are not a part of our clique, and we're going to condemn them, right? What are you doing over there? Hey, cut that out. Hey, don't say that. I didn't say that. I remember one time I made a a comment. Uh, It might not have been totally appropriate. I'm not saying that was right. And uh, this guy, I I made this comment, and this guy's like, discernment. And I was like, what? (laughs) Like, what is that? This guy's there judging me, um, saying, oh, you need to have discernment like me, right? I'm the guy who has discernment, and you didn't have discernment when you said that, so you should be more like me because I've got my act all together, right? That's what's going on. So we start to judge sins a little bit differently. We start to look at different sins in different ways. So there are certain sins, those are really bad. And then other sins, you know, I'm not even sure if it's really a sin, right? So if you're going to murder somebody, okay, you can't be a part of our club. But if you want to talk bad about people, that's definitely more socially acceptable. Or you want to tell little white lies, that's acceptable. And, And God doesn't really care about that, right? Because he's full of grace and love. No, okay? God looks at all sins as the same. And so we look at murder, and he says, that's terrible. We do too, right? And he looks at at slander or lying, and he says, that's terrible. And we should too, right? So we have to be careful that we start start setting up this different standard. And we started to see this in our church a little bit. There were people who were getting angry at other people for not doing things the right way. We we had people, we we have uh, this awesome building, and we have this full kitchen in there, and we do all sorts of events, and there were some people who had left dishes in the sink. They didn't wash them, God forbid. And uh, the person, there was a person there who was in charge of the kitchen, and they were getting angry at people, angry at people because they weren't washing their dishes. Now, I understand, hey, wash your dishes. That's cool, right? Serve other people. But sometimes it happened that people couldn't wash their dishes for one reason or another, and so they left them there. So let's go through. Let's wash them, right? If we have the right heart to serve the Lord, we're not going to get angry at that. We're going to say, hey, I'm here to serve the Lord. So if there's a dish there that I I didn't dirty, I can wash it, right? I mean, that's the way it should be if we're serving the Lord. We're there to do whatever the Lord has, okay? But these people started to get angry. They started to condemn. They started to judge other people. And, And our church, there was like this division that was going on. And it was really, really weird. And, and what, I was looking at that from a distance, kind of stepping back and saying, okay, this does not scream, hey, we love the world, we love Jesus, come be a part of us. It screams like, hey, we're kind of crazy, stay away from us because we're probably going to get angry at you. Okay? That, that's not the message that we want to send. We want to send a message that works. We want to send a message of love. Now, what happens is we as Christians, we begin to do all sorts of crazy things in the name of Jesus and it has nothing to do with love. And so we have to start to question ourselves and say, why are we doing that? There's people who walk around with big signs saying, repent sinners, God hates you. Okay? Scream love. You know, do you feel the warmth there? It's like people are like, yeah, sign me up. I want that. You know? Nobody wants that. There are people who blow up abortion clinics in the name of Jesus. It's like, 
We got it. Boom! Amen, Jesus, yes! What? No, we don't blow up buildings in the name of Jesus? There are people who are going out and they're attacking homosexuals, right? Not, not necessarily physically, but, but verbally. We're getting angry at them. No, we can't let them do this. Now, I'm not, I'm not here to, to advocate for abortion or, or gay rights or anything like that. I'm just saying that when we as Christians go on out and begin to attack them, why would they ever want to come in and join us and believe in Jesus? They're saying, oh, yeah, you guys who hate us. Awesome. I really want to go there. You know? I, I had a gal who came into my office. got to sit down and talk with her. She's a homosexual. And, and she was saying, you know, I just don't really like Christians. And I was like, okay. Uh, she said, you know, it seems like they want to point out this one thing that they call a sin. She didn't think it was a sin, homosexuality, and they just want to condemn us, you know? And so I don't really want to be a part of that. Who can blame her, right? We're not here to condemn other people because, okay, let's say that homosexuality is a sin. What are we doing? We're doing other sins that are just as bad. We're here to preach the love of Christ, not to condemn people. And this is what was going on. The Pharisees come in and are saying, listen, we're really righteous. We got our act all together. But we found this woman. She's a sinner. What should we do with her? Well, God forbid that there's a sinner in there, right? I mean, I know that you guys, we don't have any sinners in here, of course, right? Maybe a few? Okay, <laughs> maybe. So they're coming in with this self-righteousness, and they're just looking down upon everybody. And it's people in the religious community. It's people outside the religious community. And what happens is we as Christians, we want to form this little bubble, this little group, and we want to just kind of look at how good we're doing in the world. That's terrible. Look at those people out there, those sinners. Get them out of here. I don't want to be with them. And, and we're just there kind of patting ourselves on the back like, we are doing such a good job. I know you were doing such a good job. I know you were so cute up there. I just loved it. And, and people are looking at us going, what are they doing? These guys are weird. I don't want to be a part of them. Because there's no love that's emanating from us. There's no love that it's the essence of everything that we're doing. This is the mark of true Christianity. You want to be a follower of Jesus? He says, love one another. Love one another. Man, the, the Lord was speaking to me and, and to our church about this so powerfully. And, and, and it's something that we're just call, we were calling our church down in, in Curitiba to repentance. Just saying, listen, guys, we've got to be more full of the Holy Spirit. We've got to put away these ways that are totally condemning, that are totally judgmental, that are unforgiving, that are grieving the Holy Spirit. How in the world is God ever going to do everything that he wants to do in you when you're grieving the Holy Spirit by which you've been sealed. That's not what he has. He's saying, no, get rid of that stuff, repent of it, and allow me to work in and through you. And when people start to look at us and they start to see like, man, that guy really has love, they're going to be drawn. Like, Why is it that that guy has so much love? Why is it that that girl's always showing so much love? Why is that? They're going to want to draw near and find out. And then we have the opportunity to say, it's Jesus. It's not us. It's Jesus. The Holy Spirit begins to work those things in us, and then we shine it forth, and then God begins to reach more and more people. We have this, this one of the pastors down in Brazil in another church. He's just an awesome guy. <laughs> He's just this really loving, gentle-spirited guy. And it's the weirdest thing. Everybody wants to be around him. When he finishes a service, there's like a line of 50 people waiting to talk to him. Why? Because he's emanating that love. And they're saying, I don't know what he has, but I want to be near this guy. 
And I begin to look at my life and I'm saying, why, why is it that when I finish a service, there's like one person that wants to talk to me? Something's wrong there, right? There's, there's not that love that's coming off. And so we've begun, we've, all of us need to begin to search our hearts and say, okay, what are these things? And I begin to search my heart and say, okay, God, who are the people that I'm holding bitterness towards? Help me to forgive those people. Let me, let me shoot off a couple emails and ask for forgiveness from them. Let me make things right so that you can have your way in my life and maybe you can use me a little bit more to do something awesome for your kingdom. Here at Calvary Slow, we're always talking about being on mission. What does that mean? Doing things for the kingdom of God. Well, the essence of doing things is the love. It's the love that fills us and empowers us to do those things. You think you're going to come in and love these kids just like without the love of God in you? It's not going to happen. You can't come in and clean up or or do anything without the love of God filling you because it's the Holy Spirit who fills you and empowers you and he's the one that produces the love. So this is a really important thing. This is the essence, the crux of all that we are as Christians. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to have another time of worship like always, but this is going to be a time of, a little bit of time of reflection. It's a time for you guys to just kind of search through your hearts and say, okay, what's going on? What's going on under the hood? Let's open that up and let's take a look because there might be things in your heart that are displeasing to God. There might be things in your heart that are grieving the Holy Spirit. I'm a pastor, I'm a missionary, and I found this to be true in my life. I'm there trying to lead my church with bitterness and anger, resentment in my heart. How can I do that? I had to get rid of that. I had to repent of it and continue to walk in the Holy Spirit. So as we begin this time of worship, I want you guys to just open your hearts and just say, okay, God, what is it that you want to show me? What's going on in here? Because if there's anything that's not right, let's repent of that today and then turn our praise to God who washes away those sins. He's forgiven us. So let's celebrate that and let's allow him to remove the things so that we can begin to forgive others and love others the same way. Thank you, Tom. You guys, why don't we all stand? We're going to respond to God. And this is our, as Tom mentioned, it's a time to respond to who God is. Um, one of the things we oftentimes say here as a church is that there are um, imperatives in the Bible. And uh, that's, those are commands. And we're commanded to love. But those imperatives are always rooted in what we call indicatives, meaning something that has happened or something that's been done for us on our behalf. And we can talk about loving others and whatnot, and yet some of us can walk out of here and seeing in our minds we're going to rise to that challenge. And others of us could hear that challenge and feel immediately full of despair because we're like, you don't know my life. You don't know the challenges I'm facing. You don't know the people I'm dealing with that i got to love. And um, what the gospel is is it basically comes to us and tells us that we were... God's enemies. We were people that were at enmity against God. And yet God treated us, not as enemies, but as friends. He loved us. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he says that this is God's love put on display. And the beautiful thing about God's love is that God's love is not just simply a sentiment that he feels towards us. Sometimes when we think about love, we're like, so am I supposed to feel warm feelings towards other people? That's not what love is. Love is, it's an action. And it's, first of all, recognizing the action of love that was done for you on your behalf, the indicative, what God did for you. Jesus died for you. 
and then what it calls us to, which is called the imperative, what we are called to do to love others. So if you're wrestling with the question, how do I love other people? Maybe first of all, what you need to do is just simply consider the love of God that was shown to you. Just before you even think about people that you are called to love, first of all, think about the love that was shown to you. Think about the love of Christ that's been demonstrated to you. So let's, let's sing. Let's respond. We have communion in the back as a way of responding or taking of the communion. We'll have some people off to the side or by the cross to pray with you for anything that's going on in your life. Let's just lift up our voices in response to this great God, okay? God, thank you for great grace. We want to respond out of love and affection to you now.